this is what I want you to do. I want you to treat this episode, I want you to treat this question as if Jesus could return today. What kind of urgency are you going to live with? Welcome back to the Living on Purpose podcast with Pastor John and Sam. This is episode number 46. Here we go. Post-tribulation or pre-tribulation? Which is correct or your feelings on it? I've read verses that seem to support both sides. Yeah, this is another one that's a big, big question. And to be honest with you, I, I try to avoid these kind of questions. Okay. All right. <laughs> but that's what our podcast is about, right? That's right. So thank that's you right. for your question. No, it's a, it's a great question. It's a question a lot of people have, and it's a question that needs to be answered. I think the best way to answer this question is to answer this question with a question. Okay. And so what is the tribulation? And so we need to understand that first. The tribulation is a future seven-year period when God will finish his discipline of Israel and finalize his judgment on the unbelieving world. And so it's important to understand that. Mm -hmm. That judgment will ultimately be culminated in what's called the Battle of Armageddon, where good will triumph over evil, God over Satan. So the nature of this question, it revolves around the timing of when the tribulation will take place. There's been great debate over this for years, and we call this pre-trib versus mid-trib versus post-trib viewpoints, okay? Uh -huh. So I'm here to say that, and I just said it a moment ago, I don't like to really talk about prophecy a whole lot for a variety of reasons. I have actually never taught through the entire book of Revelation. Now, I did teach through the first couple chapters as it relates to uh, the churches. Letters to the churches. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. You remember that? A couple yeah. years ago. Yeah. yeah, that was actually during COVID. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, crazy times. But I did teach through that, but I've never gone through the entire book of Revelation as far as teaching through it. A lot of reasons why. One of the biggest reasons is a lot of people just want to read or study Revelation and look at it as sci-fi theater. Mm -hmm. Look at all this excitement. Look at all these crazy things that take place. And a lot of people are not really interested in the doctrinal side of it or what does it mean for me in my life? A lot mm -hmm. of people just want to want to hear about it as it relates to almost like a movie or something like that. Right. No, not everyone's like that. And I'm not saying at all that our, our listeners like that, but I'm just saying that's one of the reasons I've always avoided it because a lot of people are like, tell me about revelation. But when it comes to serving God and getting involved in the church and preaching the gospel, I'm not really involved in that. I'm not interested in that, but just tell me about revelation. Okay. And so that's been something for me I've struggled with. Okay. And so it's important for us to be passionate about pursuing the will of God preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our number one priority. Not tell me all the exciting and dramatic meanings of Revelation, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this right now, we're going to talk about it. But please understand, and I'm going to share a few verses at the very end of the podcast that should be the motivation, the priority, the drive of our lives. So let me tell you what my view is, okay, mm -hmm. of the rapture of the tribulation, okay? I believe what's called a pre-tribulational view. And that, by the way, is the standard of manual. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 17, the Bible says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, those who have died in Christ. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep in death. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet 
call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, now this is the verse that we're looking at that really relates to this idea of the rapture. It says, verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up to gather with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we be with the Lord forever. Did you know that the word rapture is actually not in the Bible? I've heard that said before, yeah. Yeah, it's not even in the Bible, but the idea of it appears to be in these verses. Okay, Okay. so let's talk about what we do agree on. Historically, the church has agreed on three things. Number one, there will be a terrible, terrible time never seen before and never seen again. And we call that the tribulation. The tribulation. After the tribulation, Christ will return and set up his earthly kingdom. And there will be a rapture of the believers, which is the idea of changing from mortality to immortality. Again, the debate is not whether these things are going to happen. They're going to happen, but when these things are going to take place. So why does it matter to the average person? I think ultimately it matters to the present day disciple of Jesus because they're asking the question, and this is what our listener wants to know, am I possibly going to have to go through the tribulation? Am I going to have to go through the pain of the tribulation? If, you know, if Christ is going to return later and Christians will go through this, if it were to begin now, that's the big question, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I believe the answer to the question is no. I believe that believers in Christ will not go through the tribulation. Now, I will say that I hate to be dogmatic on this kind of a thing because there are really interesting viewpoints across the board. Mm -hmm. And one thing I would pose to us, which is counter to my belief, but I'm going to pose it anyway. I would say, what makes us any better than the first century believers who had to die for the cause? Right. We think about Peter. He was crucified upside down. We think of Paul. Tradition says that he was beheaded. We think of Stephen who was stoned. We think of multiple, multiple disciples and what they had to go through for the cause of Jesus Christ. What makes us any better? Right. And so I would say that I'm going to give you my viewpoint. This is what I believe. But I understand that I could be wrong about this because there are interesting points across the board. We don't have time to get into all the points, Mm -hmm. but I will give you my viewpoint of why I believe what I believe. Okay. Okay. So the pre-tribulational view, three different thoughts. Number one, I believe in this viewpoint because of the removal of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Well, actually, before I even get to those verses, I want to read some verses from 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 10, because I think this will set it up better. Okay? okay, awesome. So it says this, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 10, it's talking about the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist when he'll come on the scene. It says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. In other words, don't think that the day of the Lord's already come, that Christ's return and you're left behind. They're saying that hasn't happened yet. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, who is the Antichrist, Antichrist is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called good, everything that comes from God. And he will worship, in essence, he's going to worship himself and get people to worship him. He'll set himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Verse 5, don't you remember that when I was with you, Paul speaking here to the churches of Macedonia, he says, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back. Now, this is key, what is holding him back, 
so that he will be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. He's talking about culture and just how culture is already corrupt. Matter of fact, I'll be preaching on this very soon, the corruption of culture and how we can stand against the corruption of culture. He says this, okay? Again, the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until, this is the key, he is taken out of the way. Most theologians believe the one who is taken out of the way is the Holy Spirit. Okay. So in other words, the concept that Paul is speaking of here, the reality that he's speaking of here, is that right now the Holy Spirit pushes against the culture that is sinful. But there's something that I'm going to show you in just a moment that is key to this. Okay. So he goes on to say, when all this takes place, basically all hell is going to break loose. Okay. Mm -hmm. So why is that important? Now we go back to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Remember Paul said this. Paul said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives where? In us. Inside of us. Right. And you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies, which is the Lord. So here's the thing. We have to understand something. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so when we go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and most theologians believe the one that's taken out of the way, taken off this earth, is the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that where the Holy Spirit's dwelling can no longer be here. That's right. right? And we're the ones that have the Holy Spirit within us as believers in Jesus. Okay. And so there's the connective reality that when the Holy Spirit's gone, that we're gone. Right. Because he's not, he's not going to just suck it out of us. Yeah. Right? Because it's a part of us. Exactly. The Holy Spirit is within us. And so when the Holy Spirit's gone, then we're gone. We can't be at a place where we don't have the Holy Spirit. That's part of the new covenant. That's part of what Jesus promised before he ascended to heaven. He said, I'm going to send the comfort, the paraclete, the one who will guide you into all truth. Mm -hmm. And so when the one that guides us into all truth is taken out of the way, the assumption, and it's more than an assumption, I think it's a reality that we as well are taken out of the way. And so the removal of the Holy Spirit, once the Holy Spirit is removed, we are removed as well. And so this chronologically takes place before the Antichrist comes on the scene and through power causes all sorts of, again, hell to break loose. Okay. Okay. Right. Yep. So number two, another reason why I believe in a pre-tribulational view is the removal of the word church. Pre-tribulationalism also find support in what is not found in the scripture. Now, this is really interesting, right? The word church, ecclesia, the gathering of the saints, the people of God, the assembly, the word appears 19 times in the first three chapters of Revelation. We talked about that at the very beginning of the podcast. I preached on that, right? Yep, yep. But significantly, the word is not used again until chapter 22. In other words, in the entire lengthy description of the tribulation in Revelation and all that takes place during the tribulation, the word church is noticeably absent. So, in fact, the Bible never even uses the word church in a passage relating to the tribulation. Interesting. Very interesting, isn't it? And so we believe that the church is taken out of the way. The church, the word is not used. There's no reference to the church. And so we believe that the church has been removed. Okay. Number three is a distinction of Israel and the church. 
Pre-tribulationalism is the only theory which clearly maintains the distinction between Israel and the church and God's separate plans for each. Now, there's a lot more we could get into this, and we don't have time. Mm -hmm. Daniel chapter 9, the prophetic words that were given to Daniel of the 77s, or the 70 times 7 weeks. In other words, that's a reference to 490. A lot of people believe that's in years, reference to the first coming to the second coming of Christ. There's some interesting thoughts behind that, different viewpoints. We're not going to get into this right now. But this prophecy makes it plain that the 70th week or the tribulation is a time of purging and restoration for Israel and Jerusalem and not for the church. And so the pre-tribulational view does a great job at really demonstrating the distinction between Israel and the church. Now, a covenant theologist view likes to kind of connect those things, Mm -hmm. but we believe clearly as a dispensational church, we believe that God is working for Israel and for the church, ultimately bringing us to the same place, but the pathways are different. Okay. That's what I would say to that. And so the big thing for me is removal of the Holy Spirit. That's the one that stands out the most to me, especially as it relates to the verses that I just read. Okay. And remember Jesus in John chapter 14, verses one through six, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my father's house for many rooms. If I'm not so I would have told you. And what does he say? He says, I go to prepare a place for you that I may come again. Okay. He said, I'm going to come again to take you to be with myself. And Mm -hmm. so there's all these words or references to the coming of Christ. And it's important for us to to connect those dots. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have some final thoughts. I don't know if you have any thoughts at all. Um, I would just think that, you know, there's, there's, you know, teachings out there that are just like end times are are right now and we're in the middle of the end times. And it seems like sensationalism, like they're trying to get people stirred up and, and afraid or or point to certain political leaders or anything like that. And that that can just take our focus off of the power that's in us, like the, the assurance that we have mm-hmm. that no matter what happens in the world, whether that be now or the next generation, like every generation seems to think that now is the end time. Yeah. Right. And how many generations have passed that that hasn't taken place. So like have your confidence in, in the assurance that you are saved and that no matter what happens, God's going to take care of you. Yeah. I like that. And I think what you said is absolutely true. It happens all the time. We see people all the time. They get enamored. They get just obsessed with end times. And I think like, could we be at the very end? Yes, we could be. Whenever you whenever you hear the idea of end times, you know, it's important to understand, you know, we see the phrase in the New Testament, the last days. Mm-hmm. We have to understand the last days began at the ascension of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we've been in the last days long before you and I were even alive. 2,000 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the reality is, is that it seems like Christ is going to return soon. But here's the thing, too. We always look at this through the lens of America, mm-hmm. and it's important to understand that it's not just America. I mean, we see our country in some ways falling apart, and we think, oh, Christ is going to return. But there's much more to this picture than just America. And so I have some final thoughts today. Again, if we were to look at other viewpoints, there are supposed weaknesses of the pre-tribulational view. The first one would be, and this is something I hear from people all the time when they come against my viewpoint, they would say, Well, the view of the rapture wasn't really adopted by the church until the 1800s. 
That's true, right? Hmm. It's been more of a newer, more modern viewpoint. Although I would say that I don't look to church history to define what I believe. I think it's really important to understand that. Um, we look to the Word of God. I mean, sola scriptura, the Word of God. Mm-hmm. But this is a viewpoint that people have, and I can't argue it. It does seem like the word rapture, the concept, I should say, of rapture is more of a modern viewpoint. And number two, the Bible does speak of disciples of Jesus that are in the tribulation. Matter of fact, in Revelation 13, it, it speaks of disciples of Jesus that will like be in the war at the very end. And the answer I would give to that is that there will be people that do get saved during the tribulation. And I think a lot of people that believe in the pre-tribulational view, they would look at this and say, but there is there is a distinction between those that are born again as uh, people that are part of Israel versus those that are part of the church. And again, this is just something to kind of think through. The best thing I think that we can do with prophecy, and the thing that you basically alluded to a moment ago, is not to be distracted by the sensationalism of it, but to be motivated to use it to influence people for Christ. Instead of getting sucked into the dramatics of it, let's use it for discipleship. So I want to give to you a couple of verses that are just so powerful that really connect to urgency in the moment, but taking that urgency and making it something that matters, turning it into action. Good, good. So Romans 13, verses 11 through 14, Paul said this, and he said, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We know that for sure, right? The return of Christ is closer now than when we first believed. He says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's push aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You know what he's saying? I think Paul believed in his day it could happen. A lot of people have believed it. Over time, many, many people, like you said, have always believed the coming of Christ is upon us. Whether it happens in our lifetime or it doesn't, we need to live as if it's about to happen. We need to live as if the reality of what's in front of us drives us to preach the gospel. That's right. That's a great way to wrap a bow around this one. I know that we, you know, just scratched the surface on Revelation. I mean, it's a it's a deep dive, but we hope that today's episode has encouraged you. Uh, to maybe even dive in deeper and look at the scriptures yourself and and really study this. Um, If you have a follow-up question about that, feel free to ask that in the future. Um, But thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I just want to say something real quick. Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you. It's okay. This is what I want you to do. I want you to treat this episode, I want you to treat this question as if Jesus could return today. What kind of urgency are you going to live with?